Welcome to the She Connects podcast. My name is Susan Vandenhubel, and I am honored to be your host each and every week. This is an extension of my ministry, She Rises, that allows me to connect with women in the online space. You can learn more about me and my ministry at www.sherisesmn.org or simply tap the link in the show notes. But for now, let's dive into this week's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the She Connects podcast. I'm excited that you're tuning in this week. I think that this week's episode is going to be one that you'll want to earmark and come back to and listen to again because we're going to be talking about discouragement. And uh, originally I had titled this week's episode called Overcoming Discouragement. But as I was just talking to Rachel before I hit record, that I'm not sure we ever like fully overcome it because it's just part of living life in a fallen world. But I think that we can grow in how we respond to discouragement in not allowing it to keep us stuck or take us out of the calling that God has upon our life. So I am excited about this week's guest. Uh, She's been with us before, and um, I'm just really excited about all the things that she's going to share. I know that she has a lot of wisdom and will add a lot of value to this week's topic. So with that, welcome back to the show, Rachel Hunka. Tell us a little bit about you and where you're joining us from. Yeah, thanks for having me back. I love talking with you. I am in Canton, Ohio right now. Um, It's very cold here. Very, very cold. And I am, I'm actually sitting downtown right now in one of the collaborative workspaces that we have downtown. And um, right across the street is the community center and church that my husband and I planted. And that's where I'm at. So I think that one of the, the, or actually the topic that you joined me with the last time was on collaboration over competition, if I remember right. Um, right, And that was so, so good. Uh, And so listeners, if you're new to this corner of the internet, go back. I don't remember the episode number, but just find that one where it says, I think, collaboration over competition with Rachel Hunka. And that uh, episode will really add a lot of value to your life. I that was one of the episodes that just really, really touched a lot of people. I got a lot of feedback from that. So thank you. Um, So we're going to be talking about, like I said, at the top of our time here together, overcoming disappointment and, or discouragement and probably some disappointment, (laughs) but um, they kind of seem to go hand in hand. Right. And so I'm just curious your thoughts about whether or not maybe in your own life or maybe in the life of other people, if you have experienced discouragement in one particular area of your life over other areas, does it seem to kind of show up in one area more than the other? Because I I know that it does for me. You know, I think that there's a reason, (laughs) there's a reason why I feel more discouragement in, you know, the calling that God has upon my life, especially like ministry related type things versus how well I can, you know, cook up a meal in the kitchen because I'm not called to be a cook. (laughs) So, you know, and I don't feel discouraged by a burnt meal, (laughs) but um, discouragement does seem to show up in these areas over here that are more near and dear to my heart. So what are your thoughts about that? You know, well, for starters, if anybody is really into uh, personality assessments or anything or Enneagram, any of that kind of stuff, I am a textbook Enneagram one. 
like textbook, which means I am a perfectionist. And um, there could be, I could be involved in a project that goes 98% well, but I'm going to focus on the 2% that didn't go well. So I live disappointed and discouraged. (laughs) Um, So when you said, when you said you don't really overcome it, you just learn how to respond to it. You learn how to fix your expectations. That is so true because I am the person who, um, you could give me a thousand compliments, but I'm going to hear the one thing that somebody critiqued on always. It's just how I'm wired. I wish it wasn't, but I mean, for starters, I, I experienced discouragement in a thousand different places. I'm a mom. I have three little girls. So when it comes to parenting, I constantly sit there and go, why do I have to tell you this a hundred times? I don't understand. But when it, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to ministry and things that you are pouring your life into, I feel like the constant area where I feel discouraged is when I'm putting 150% into something and the people who are supposed to be in it with me, I can tell they don't care. I can tell it's their extra energy, not their focus. I always get discouraged when I feel like the people who are supposed to be running with me are really just dragging their feet and don't care that much. Mm, Yeah. So there's some honest talk right there. Yeah. I just so echo that. And so how do you navigate through that? Well, I think I might've mentioned her on the last podcast, but uh, my friend, Jordan, she's like the smartest person I know. (laughs) She's a licensed counselor and her and I were talking one day and I was like, I don't, I don't want to be angry all the time. Anger is like the first emotion I feel. There are people who, you know, cry at the drop of a hat. I get angry. Like when I watched, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie inside out, but oh my gosh, the little red angry man. That's, that is me. It's like no other emotion exists in my brain. I just have joy and anger and that's it. (laughs) And so I, I was talking to her one day and I was like, I hate how angry I am. I don't want to be angry. And she told me the most life-changing thing that anyone has told me since the gospel. And she said, anger is a secondary emotion. Mm. Anger is not the first thing we feel. It's a result of something else. Mm. So if you can start naming what you're angry about, that's going to change everything. And it did, because then when I would start to feel angry, I would be able to get to the root of the issue. And what I realized more often than not for me, my anger was a result of unmet expectations. And often those expectations were uncommunicated. I assumed that if I'm giving 110%, everybody around me is also giving 110%. And everybody around me also cares as much as I do. And that's just not true. I mean, when we look at Ephesians and we see the body of Christ, everybody cares about something different. You know, he says, you've got your hand, you've got your foot, you've got your head, you've got all these different body parts. And that's what makes up the body of Christ. And we have to all care about different things because that's how we get Christ's love into every nook and cranny and crevice of society. Everybody cared about the things that I care about. There would be a whole section of the world completely uncared for. So everybody has to care about something different. They all can't give 110% to what I care about. Mm. 
And so when I started to realize and name my unmet expectations, I was so much less angry. And what I also found is that when I would clearly communicate my expectations, people would tell me, you know what? I think I can do this part of it, but I'm not going to have the time to do this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, well, that was so much easier than silently being angry for the next six months that I'm carrying this whole project and feeling like I'm giving 110 and you're giving 50. Well, that's because the margin in your life and because of what you're passionate about only allows you to give 50% to what I'm doing. But thank you for your 50%, because that's now something that I don't have to shoulder. And now my expectations have been clearly communicated. You understand what I need. I understand what you're capable of. And oh my gosh, I saved myself so much discouragement. Mm. And now I can build a more efficient team. And so, I mean, that has made just a world of difference in how I approach, I mean, everything everything, even, I mean, even down to my parenting with my kids, I can say, Hey, it's seven o'clock, go upstairs, brush your teeth, go potty, get jams on. I just gave you three steps. I expect those three steps to be completed in the next 15 minutes. Oh my gosh. I'm so much less angry at my kids because I didn't say go up and get ready for bed. And that's this like rogue idea in their little seven-year-old mind. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean that, that advice from her anger is a secondary emotion. And naming the root of what my anger is coming from. Oh my gosh, my life has had so much more peace in it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I just, again, so echo everything that you're saying. We are much alike that way. And I can tell when, if I'm going to be honest, I can tell when I'm feeling just like angry on the inside and I'm frustrated and that identifying piece has just saved so much. I mean, I, I feel like it has helped me to just piggyback off of what you're sharing. It has helped me in being able to move out of discouragement. I don't know, lack of better words, faster than what I have, you know, like back in the day where I would, it would like take me weeks and weeks, you know, lap and lap and lap around the mountain when I could just like arrest that and trace it back. You know, when did I start feeling this way? What happened? Is it, is it an unmet expectation? You know, something didn't go the way I wanted it to go. I, that identification piece is so powerful. I love that you brought that up because if we just keep coming at it from the surface level, it it just kind of doesn't help us to work through it um, because we're kind of saying, well, in my own life, maybe it's this, maybe it's that I'll try this, I'll try that. But if I can come at it from the root level and identify, this is when I started feeling this way, then I can begin to, you know, pray at it from that direction. I can begin to talk through it talk to somebody that maybe I need to have a conversation with. So good. But, you know, I think that if we're, if we're also honest, sometimes discouragement comes just from, you know, everyday life, you know, it's, it comes from just exhaustion and, you know, busyness of life. We're just coming out of the holiday season. Uh, We're, we're recording this. What is it? The first week of January. And I don't know about you, but I had planned, like, I rarely take any ministry uh, invitations in the month of December because I want to be 
present. I know that you guys lead a church, so that's probably a very busy month for you (laughs) (laughs) over there. But, you know, we just had some family things that came up, unexpected things. And so my little mini sabbatical that I was going to take in December really got a little hijacked because all of a sudden I needed to do a lot of traveling unexpectedly. And I just felt just like angry and, and discouraged because I wanted this, this is what I had set up. And now I need to be living out of a suitcase, you know, for the next X amount of days. And so just those everyday life type things can create discouragement. Have you felt any of just those types of influences creating discouragement in your life? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) No doubt. After specifically what comes to mind is after my second child was born, um, we could not afford childcare with the job that I had. If we had paid for childcare, I would have actually lost money by going to work. And so I had to quit and stay home. And I loved my job. I mean, I distinctly remember sitting in my boss's office, just sobbing and saying, I'm so sorry, but I have to quit. And it was grueling and it was terrible. And so then being home, I, I was constantly discouraged. There is, there's so much freedom in realizing the way that you are wired and like discovering the things that you are good at and not just assuming that, okay, well, I'm a woman and I have kids. And so therefore I must be a nurturing person that is automatically bent to be a caretaker. That's just not true. It's just not true. My husband is a far more nurturing person than I am. Mm. And what, what I discovered about myself. So my husband does leadership consulting and he works with uh, teams to help them function more efficiently, things like that. So I actually went through the program that he does. And what I discovered about myself is that nurturing is actually my dead last function. Like there, so the, um, he works with giant worldwide and they break things down into five different voices. And they say, every person has a measure of all five. Um, nobody's just one, you all have all five, but it's what is most natural to you. And, um, nurturing is the least natural to me. And I was living my life a hundred percent in a nurturing role. So I was living 100% of my life in my least natural functionality. And so every day I was drained. I was depleted. I was frustrated. I was exhausted. Every single thing that I had to do, uh, you know, people could say I'm terrible for saying it, but it sucked the life out of me. Mm -hmm. Staying home all day, every day with my kids actually sucked the life out of me. And they are wonderful children. Like I look at my kids now and I'm like, I actually like you. I actually like hanging out with you. You're actually really fun, but I'm also not home all day, every day. And I'm doing things that are, that I'm good at. So what I, so when I, you know, when I get to sit down and have conversations like this, I went back to grad school. I volunteer with an organization. I'm actually going from here 
over to their house to teach some uh, Bible study this afternoon. And um, I get to do a lot of creative projects. And so by doing that stuff, when my kids come home from school, oh my gosh, I'm such a better mother. Mm. I'm so much better for them. I'm not frustrated every single day from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed because I have now arranged my life to where I have pockets of time where I get to do things that I'm good at that remind me I'm good at things <laughs> so that when I go home and I, and I do things that are entirely left-handed to me, um, I don't feel horrible about myself. I don't feel like a failure and constantly discouraged because I'm no longer living a hundred percent of my life doing things that I'm terrible at. Mm, yeah. And so I, I am, I am a better mother to my kids because I have gone through that process of self-awareness and learning how I'm wired so that I can give time to things that I'm good at so that I can be better for them and be a more nurturing and more patient mom. Mm, that's so good, Rachel. And I know that um, I know that listeners are really going to resonate with that because, I mean, we're just having honest talk here. I, I mean, I think about how many young moms are feeling that, and yet it's almost like they're kind of, you know, hiding that because we're not supposed yeah. to say that we're not supposed to feel that way because they're my children and it's going to be, you know, misunderstood that I don't love them and I don't want to be around them. And I, you know, regret having them. And that's not the case at all. Maybe it's just, not at all. You're, you know, I mean, it's just how you're wired. And I think that, you know, for me, of course, I'm an empty nester, but, you know, in my month of December, uh, just feeling so incredibly worn out and, you know, not being available to certain things and not, not responding to emails and phone calls and all the things like I typically do, you know, because I just didn't have anything left. I mean, I was, I mean, just living out of a suitcase and, you know, conversations with um, medical teams and, and things that just really needed my attention. And so I found myself even being discouraged in expectations that people had placed upon me. Yeah. And so feeling like, wow, can, can you maybe just extend some grace to me because I'm worn out and I just don't have it in me right now. And, and that's okay. You know, I, you know, yeah. I think that there's this place of, of giving ourselves permission to say, this is what I need right now. If I'm going to show up better tomorrow or next week or at that service or whatever, I recognize, you know, like you said, that self-awareness piece, I am exhausted. Like I am tapped out mentally, emotionally, every area. And so how do you, how do you manage when, when there's expectations placed upon you that you just feel like, man, I'm not able to meet that. And it's, and, you know, you can feel their disappointment in you. You can, does that make you feel discouraged? Oh, I unapologetically set boundaries. I give absolutely no apologies for my nose. I might, I might say, I'm sorry that I can't be there, um, but I hope that it goes well. Or, or something like that, but I'm not giving an apology for setting a boundary that I need to place in my life. I was listening to a podcast. Oh my gosh. 
it, it was at least over a year ago. Cause I remember where I was when I was going on a walk and listening to it, but it was a podcast that it was Jen Hatmaker. It was her for the love podcast. And I totally forget who she was interviewing, but what she talked about has stuck with me a whole year later. And she discussed that um, she never says yes to anything. She ranks everything on a scale. And if it is not a 70 or higher on that scale, she does not say yes to it. Mm. And she's like, I say, I say no. And I say no without apology because what's going to be below 70 for me that I give an obligatory yes to might've been a 90 on somebody else's scale. And so I'm actually getting in the way and doing a mediocre job. When I say my yes, I'm actually blocking somebody else from stepping into what they're called to do because I gave an obligatory yes. That's of like 50% importance to me. And, and I'm going to go and I'm going to drain and deplete myself when actually there's somebody who, when they would have gotten that ask, they would have been over the moon excited about it. This would have been the highlight of their day. Yeah. I just, but I just took that spot because I felt like I had to say yes. And oh my gosh, that changed everything for me. And so I, I no longer apologize for my nose because I don't want to be the barricade that stops somebody else from stepping into uh, their calling and stepping into something that they would be great at because I felt, I felt um, like I had to, mm-hmm. you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Let's remove the shoulds. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so freeing. I have not always been that way. I am saying that today as somebody who has very much learned um, the importance of boundaries. Yeah. And and that's coming from years of terrible boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, recovering people pleaser right here, you know, and that was why I was saying yes to all the things, but even growing into just because I have the skill set to do something doesn't mean that God's grace is upon my life to do that. And one of one quote that really stood out to me from Louis Giglio, he said, every time you say yes to something, there's less of you for something else. Make sure your yes is worth the less. And man, there is so much freedom in placing a heavier weight on our yeses. I love that. And I don't know, I feel like I could go on the road and preach boundaries. I love, love boundaries. (laughs) Love it. I love it. And so let's talk about discouragement in, you know, times uh, just in our faith where we feel like, you know, we're wrestling with unanswered prayers. God seems silent. Um, We're not getting the results that we feel like we had hoped for. How do you, how do you work through that? You know, the prayer that I've started saying, when I feel like God is silent, I have learned that he is never silent. He's Mm -hmm. just speaking differently. And so I have started saying the prayer when I feel like I'm not hearing from him, I've started saying, God, show me how you're speaking. Because uh, I mean, yeah, we see, we see going from old Testament to new Testament that there's the silence there, right? There's 400 years of silence. Um, but at the end of the day, they also still had the Pentateuch. Yeah. So he was never actually entirely silent. He might've stopped speaking the way that he was. Um, but from what I gather from reading scripture, people also stopped reading his word and listening. 
Wow. So even when we think he's silent, we live in 2022. You gotta, you can have the whole Bible on your phone. So he's not silent. He's just speaking differently. We, you cannot claim God is silent if you're not reading the Bible. Yeah. Come on. Because the Bible is full of his word. And it also is showing you a thousand different ways that he's speaking. So we want to say that he's silent, but have you stood outside? Have you stood outside and listened for him? Because that's what Elijah did. He stood on the side of a mountain. Mm-hmm. And then he looked at everything that was passing in front of him and said, God, are you in that? And it said he wasn't in this. He wasn't in this. He wasn't in this. He was a still small voice. But you know what? The however many times before the still small voice, Elijah was listening and asking. Right. Yeah. So unless we're looking in scripture and discovering every single possible way that God might speak, I refuse to believe that he's actually silent. Mm. And, and that's coming from, I, I had a two year period, two whole years of my life where God did not speak to me in the way that he's always spoken to me. And I absolutely said in that time that he was silent, but what I realized was that I wasn't listening because he was speaking to me. Um, it was when we were uh, starting our journey of opening third street community church And I remember I adored the pastor that we were with who was sending us to plant the church. And I was honestly very devastated to leave that church. And I remember praying and saying, God, I need you to show me how to view my husband as my pastor, Mm. because I have no clue how to do that. And I love my pastor. And so I prayed that prayer. And what I didn't realize was the timing of when God went silent to me speaking in the way he usually would. Um, It was right after that prayer. I did not hear from him for two full years in the way that I was used to hearing from him. But what I realized was that every day when my husband would come home, I eventually started asking him, who did you talk to today? Because that was also the same point where I had to quit my job and was home with our kids and uh, like was just ripping my hair out uh, because I hadn't realized, you know, I hadn't gone through everything we talked about earlier. And so I started just asking him when he came home, like almost living vicariously through his day because I missed going to meetings. I missed problem solving. I missed, um, I missed theological discussions because, oh my gosh, I can only watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse so many times. And So he came home and I started asking him, who did you meet with today? What did you do today? What planning did you do today? And I started asking him every single thing about his day. And that is how God was speaking to me Mm. through the conversations with my husband and realizing like the way his brain was working and how he was planning. And I had no idea that like crafting a sermon series is something I actually love. I found my sport finally. And so when he would say, yeah, I'm trying to figure out this and plan this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you should do this series from this part of the, like, this would be so cool. We could piece it together like this. And like, God was, God was waiting for me to look at another person and learn about them and say, what is God teaching you? Who have you been, who, who did you meet with and what happened in that meeting? And it took me 
getting out of my own discouragement and my own frustration to learn about the person across from me. And that is how God was speaking to me. So I said he was silent, but I wasn't listening. Wow. When I sat down to listen, I I learned things about my husband, about how he thinks, about how he hears from God, how God moves in his life. So then I started taking the ways that he's like, yeah, I did this today and I was doing this and I felt like God said this. And I'm like, oh, I've never tried to listen to him like that before. And so then I tried what he was doing. And I mean, it completely changed my, my marriage. I absolutely learned how to view my husband as my pastor. Um, but I also learned how to hear God in ways that I hadn't before. Mm -hmm. And so now when I feel like, God, I haven't heard from you in a while, my prayer is not, why are you silent? My prayer is how are you speaking? Wow. That is a whole like narrative flip right there because he, he is always speaking and you just, I feel like we could hit rewind and like go through that all over again, because that is so deep, so rich right there. And I think that, I think that so often people can feel like, well, I haven't heard from God for a while. And so he's just not a part of my life anymore. And, you know, just kind of throw in the towel and walk away even from their faith or from their calling or, and I try to remind myself and I try to encourage other people. Well, but what has God told you to do the last time that you felt like you heard from him? You know, what did he tell you to do? Keep doing that. (laughs) Keep doing that, you know, keep your hand on the plow. And so if you were, if you were honest, have you ever been discouraged to the point where you have wanted to quit? Yeah, (laughs) there have absolutely been times when I have thought to myself, man, if I just moved, all these problems would go away. But that's literally not true because you go with you wherever you go. And so you can quit, you know, you can walk away from whatever it is that you're doing, but those problems are still going to be sitting there. Um, that that's not to say, don't hear what I'm not saying. That's not to say stay in an unhealthy workplace. That's not to say stay in an unhealthy relationship or stay in an unhealthy friendship. I'm not saying any of that. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that if you do have to make changes or you do have to walk away, you go with you wherever you go. And so you still need to process the experience. You still need to process what you have gone through, even if walking away is what you're told, because that is biblical. Scripture does say, it does tell us, dust your feet. It says you can dust your feet and walk away. Yeah. That's okay. There is a, there is a time for quitting, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Totally. And I, I think that, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing is coming to this place where what we go through, we choose to not allow it to make us bitter. but we choose to allow it to make us better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those are way two different, different things. And there have been times in, you know, the earlier days of my faith, when I didn't understand this, you know, I, I wasn't raised in the church and had a really checkered past, been through a lot. And so, you know, just this young green bean in my faith and, you know, trying to, figure out who God is and read my Bible. And I didn't understand that 
you know, how to navigate and work through discouragement. And so I would allow it to make myself bitter and I would get resentful and angry. And, you know, I would verbalize that. And I mean, wow, here's to growth, right? (laughs) Here's, Here's to growth and being committed to leaning into God. What are you wanting me to learn in this? What are you wanting me to teach? What are you speaking? How are you speaking? How can I grow in my faith? How can I draw closer to you? How can this improve my prayer life? You know, I mean, and so all of those things are are really, really important to, to just remember, make, make it uh, ourselves better and not bitter. And so when you, when you think about, you know, the why behind your what, uh, you know, in other words, really, why did God call you to do this, that, or the other thing, whatever, you know, planting a church, for example, the why behind your what have you found being really crystal clear on your why behind your what helps you to stay anchored and helps you to push through discouragement? Um, yeah, honestly, I'm real bad at naming whys. Like, the why that I feel more often than anything else, I find Peter extremely relatable. And when Jesus, uh, when, the, when the crowds start to leave, because he says, like, you're here just for regular food. I'm, I'm trying to give you something more. And they leave because he's not performing more miracles and giving them more food, right? Uh, and then he turns around and he looks at the disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter looks at him and says, where else would we go? Yeah. Like, that's how I feel. My life has been so transformed by experiencing the fullness of who God is. As much as I feel like I can experience the fullness at being 34 years old and and living in a fallen world, right? Like, but experiencing so much of who God is, I just feel like, where else would I go? Like, I, I can't do anything but what I'm doing because that's how deep like my life transformation has been. And that's how deeply I believe in what I believe. But prior to this point, I went through a very long reconstruction of my faith. You know, we talk a lot about deconstructing our faith and, and pulling everything apart. But if you deconstruct without a plan to reconstruct, you're just left in the ruins. And so I went through this reconstruction of saying, okay, I've pulled out all the parts of what I've grown up hearing because I grew up going to church with my family and I pulled everything out and I'm like, okay, here's everything. Here's everything that I have ever been told that I should believe. And just one by one going, do I believe that? And what do I believe about that? And then putting it into this bookshelf that has become my faith. Mm-hmm. And so I have so determined what I believe and why I believe it, that there is no turning back for me. And so when I look at like, why do we do what we do at Third Street? And why does Third Street exist? I can tell you every single thing about what we do and why we do it. And I stand so firmly behind it because I believe what I have seen in the gospel. And I believe that that is our best way to bring the gospel to Southeast Canton. And Canton is my home and I'm going to be here because I'm committed to here. 
And I, and I believe in what the church is doing in Canton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And so I, like I, I have, so I suppose I do have these firm whys, but my whys are not necessarily this like, um, personal mission statement that I have perfectly crafted because I just have not been able to figure that, that out. I know a lot of people do that. And, and that's so good. I more have this, like, this is what I have discovered about my faith and I can't not live it out in this way. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Totally. I know that like for me, the why it, it just has helped me to be able to kind of circle back to, and, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking about, you know, like when I feel discouraged to be able to flip back in pages of my journal and remind myself, this is what God said. And this is why I decided to take this step of faith, or this is why I decided to launch this or because he said this back here, because I think that, you know, faith isn't denying reality. You know, we we're all going to, you know, encounter discouragement and disappointment. You know, we're, we're going to have deal with anger and, and those types of things. And so when those show up, it's like, yeah, acknowledging that because faith isn't denying reality, but it's also like kind of stepping back and saying, but God, you said, this is what you said. And so I'm going to continue to do what you have called me to do. I'm, I believe that you place this in my hand and I believe that you're in it. I don't feel released from it. And so Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to go forward. And I, I think that, um, and just your thoughts too. And when I have felt like extremely discouraged, I've been in a really hard season of discouragement. I, I just cannot skip my, my time in the Bible and my time in the, you know, with, with the Lord, I'm, you know, really being intentional. I mean, I'm an intentional person anyway, but I think that so often discouragement can even pull us out of those, those habits that we've developed over the years, because what's the point, you know, when actually those are the times where, wow, you really need to just dial in and just really lean in even more. Have you found that to be true in your own life? Yeah, absolutely. And the, my constant, constant, constant prayer in that space is, uh, Lord, I pray for the day when I can look back and say, this was good. Yeah. And I, I never feel like it's good when I'm going through it. Right. You know, when you're going through discouragement and you are, and you're tired, you're physically and spiritually exhausted to the point where you're like, I actually can't get out of this chair. Like all I can do right now is, is sit in this chair. I am so exhausted. That doesn't feel good, but I always pray God, get me to the day where I look back and say, this was good. Mm, because there's always, yeah, there's always a lesson. Your grit is formed in the valleys. Mm -hmm. Your grit is formed in those moments of discouragement. Like when, you know, when you get to the top of a mountain, you're getting to view this like amazing view of God's creation that you've never seen. You're getting a perspective that you've never seen the mountaintop it's exciting. It's celebratory. It's joyous. Your grit doesn't come on the mountaintop. Yeah. The grit and the lessons come on the way up. You're not learning how to put on a harness and place your feet at the mountaintop. 
Come on. You learned all that on the way up. Yep. And so you have to pray for God to get you through the valley and get you up the mountain so that you can get that view from the top. Mm-hmm. You learn everything along the way and you need the valley. The valley is what gets you to, if everything was a mountaintop, that's called a plateau, right? Yeah. And so we have to have the valleys and we have to have the journey up because that's what makes us appreciate the top of the mountain, right? And yep. so my constant prayer is get me to the point where I look back and say it was good. Because when you're standing on the top of the mountain is when you have a new perspective of everything you just traveled through on the way up. Yep. Yeah. So that is always, always my prayer. Yep. That's so good. Wow. So good right there. Uh, and so how has you, how have you found community play a huge factor in helping you walk through discouragement? Well, you certainly learn who's with you when you're not at your high point, right? Yeah. You learn, you Let's learn, be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You learn who's actually with you when you're at your lowest. Because anybody can grab a coattail, but it takes a real friend to actually hook you in the harness. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you learn the people who are going to go through things with you and, you know, it's okay. I just like, I, I want to make so clear that it's okay to make your circle smaller. Yeah. Say that again. It's okay (laughs) to make your circle smaller. I've never cut anybody off, but I've never forced anyone to be my friend either. Mm -hmm. And so when I say that, what I mean to say is that Jesus had Peter, James, and John, right? He had three. Mm -hmm. They went with him everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then he had 12 that he called. He had one that he knew was a little off and he let him go. And then he had the people outside of that, you know, he had Lazarus, he had Martha, he had the Marys, right? We got a lot of Marys in the Bible. He had all of them. They weren't 12, but they were important to him. They were special. They were there. Yeah. And then, and then he had the 5,000 that he was also willing to teach. Jesus had circles. It's okay for you to do that too. Yeah. And if Jesus, if Jesus could handle 12, that we're super close and, and I'm not Jesus. And even Jesus felt the need to have four within the 12. Well, then it's probably okay. If I'm not putting all of my life and hardships on blast for the whole world until I've walked through them, I've got a couple people, a couple, not even four. I've got a couple yeah. that, that I text when things are hard. And I'm like, I need you to pray. Here's what I'm going through. And I know that they're going to pray. Yeah, I know that they're going to do it. And then I've got a circle that's a little bit wider than that, that I'm like, these are the people I can let my guard down with. These are the people that like, you know, if they walk in my house and literally nothing is clean, they know that I still love my family and I'm probably going to clean my house tomorrow. Right. <laughs> like yeah. they're, they're not judging me when they walk in and I got 19 piles of laundry and I'm like, oh my gosh, I literally cannot find the cat. It's been outside since eight o'clock. I don't know where it is. They know that I'm okay, but I'm not, I'm not going to blast that part of myself out to the world. A couple of days later when I'm like, man, I had such a hard day at home the other day. Here's what I learned. Like I discovered this song or I rediscovered this old worship song. And I put this like processed part of my life 
that's for the 5,000, right? Yeah. It's okay to shrink your circles and have boundaries and have a very, a very small group of people. Maybe when you were, when you were younger, you had like 20 people that you could maintain a great relationship with. And now you're like, "Ah, I got energy for five, man, give those five your energy. And the rest of those 15, if they're not cool with not hearing from you every single day, well, they were probably, they were probably somebody who was thriving off of you having no boundaries. Yeah. That's not a great friend. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good right there. There's a lot of giving yourself permission um, right there. Um, The boundaries piece again. And I think that there's a discernment piece here too, and inviting God into that decision-making, you know, who are those people? Um, Because I I know for myself, um, you know, in my younger days uh, and, and just, you know, wanting all the people because, you know, I mean, I was throwing out BFF titles like candy at a parade, you know, (laughs) and, but, you know, when you grow in your faith and you become closer to the Lord and, and you begin to understand that um, it is okay to have a smaller, a smaller crowd around you, you know, when you really look at the life um, that Jesus modeled for that, for us, if we see him doing that, wow. So then if he's the greatest leader that we could ever learn from, why not follow that example? There is so much wisdom in that, um, in knowing who are your people and who can hold that safe space for you that you can really just let in. It's a judgment-free zone. And uh, that discernment piece, I think is just really, really huge. And learning, I think this is a whole nother topic probably, but learning to ebb and flow, you know, when relationships change too. And, and there's just factors that play into that. I mean, just life, you know, you could relocate across the country and it just becomes harder to manage, you know, and maintain those relationships that you once had. And so it's not always bad, but I like to refer to it as, as like a graceful release. You know, I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. (laughs) I, you know, I'm not cutting you out. It's just a graceful release because I'm in a different place in my life. Yeah, exactly. Now you're spot on. Yeah. Uh, And so I'm thinking about the woman that's listening today and just really feeling discouraged, um, maybe even disappointed. We kind of talked a little bit. They sort of go hand in hand. And maybe she's feeling like I if I'm honest and I want to admit, albeit underneath my breath, I just really want to quit. Been really hard. It's been a hard season. And I just am wondering, is it really worth it? Can you speak to her today? You know, I would tell her to honestly, honestly sit down and have a prayerful conversation with God and say, do I want to quit because it's time or do I want to quit because I'm called and I'm disappointed with where things are at right now? Because there is a time to quit. There is a time like we never talk about that. In ministry, things end and it's okay. It's okay to quit sometimes. We need to quit well. We need to exit well. You need to not just like quit and walk away and leave everybody wondering why. We need to have conversations with people and say, hey, you know what? This ministry or this 
position I've held was so good for so long and I loved it. And here's all of the highlights and here's all of the things that I have loved over the years. And here's all of the lessons and here's all the ways that I've seen God in this. And I think it's time that this comes to an end, or I think it's time that I step out of this position because someone else is needed to take this further. That's okay. Yeah. And we need to ask ourselves, do I want to quit because it's actually time because Mm -hmm. I should quit. And I'm afraid to quit. I'm afraid of disappointing. Name the reasons that you're afraid of quitting. I'm afraid of disappointing people. I'm afraid of what people might think. I'm afraid that people are thinking I'm I'm giving up. I'm afraid of this. Name the things that make you worried about quitting. Yeah, so good. But then also be willing to ask, or do I want to quit because I'm not seeing the outcomes I wanted? Because if that's the reason, you're probably not supposed to quit. Mm -hmm. You probably need to reevaluate what a win looks like because not all wins look the same. Yeah. Now, if you're running an event and you wanted a hundred registrations and you're at 30 and you're mad that those other 70 aren't there. So you want to quit. You need to reevaluate a win because God just gave you 30 people to steward. Yeah. He just gave you 30 people with heartbeats and brains and lives to sit in front of you. And if you can't value 30, well, then I wouldn't give you a hundred. either. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be honest about, do I want to quit because it's actually time or do I want to quit because I'm pouting because I'm not getting the results I wanted? Yeah. That's so good, Rachel. So good. And I'm already, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking we so need to have a conversation over recognizing when it is time to quit. And I agree with you that that is something we don't really hear a whole lot about. And so we sort of wrestle through it on our own. And um, sometimes we keep giving CPR to something that God just is not in anymore, you know? And I know that sometimes there's that identity piece too, especially if you've been involved with doing something for so long. And so, you know, you feel like, wow, I think that the Lord is releasing me from this and his grace just isn't upon this. This season is coming to an end. But if I let go of this, it's like, I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know who I am apart from that. I, yeah. I don't know. So this is an invitation to you to come back on the show. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I listen, I'm saying this, I, I'm an, I am not an extroverted processor. So let me think on this, but I mean, I might go as far as to say that if your identity is wrapped up in something and that's what makes you afraid of quitting, well, then you maybe should step away. Yeah. Your identity is not in anything that you do. And if it, if you cannot detach yourself from it and have no idea who you are, you've lost yourself in it. And maybe you don't need to quit. Maybe you need a sabbatical or maybe you do need to quit because you are not that thing you do. Yeah. 
That's good. Oh, so good. All right. So I'm totally going to have you back on the show. We're going to talk about that and go there on the deep end of the pool. So thank you so much for joining me this week. I know that this was so encouraging and added a lot of value to the listening community, but I want to encourage people to connect with you in the online space and follow you because you are so encouraging and um, I just love what you're the content that you're putting out into the world. I know that you yourself co-host a podcast. And so um, all of those links are in the show notes, but just uh, let people know where, where they can find you. Um, well, yeah. Instagram. What is my handle? Uh, Rachel Elise H. <laughs> um, and then our podcast, we have the bless up podcast. It's myself, my husband and our best friend, James, the three of us do that together. Third Street Church, that's our church. Um, all of our sermons and everything, you can find those online. They're all linked up, I think, in our in our Instagram. I think that's the main spaces that I am. Yeah, <laughs> those are the three places where you can find me most. Okay, and and so just a, a question. I don't know if it's even possible, but I know that you are a contributor to Propel Women, and so yeah. um, those articles that you have written are so good. How oh, can people? How can people find those? Are they like linked up on your website somewhere, or would they go to Propel Women? Some of them. Some of them are linked in my Instagram. Not all of them. Just like some of the most recent ones. Um, the easiest way is to go to propel women. And if you type my name in the search bar, it'll pull, pull them all up. I know they're on propels, like the links are in propels Instagram, but then you'd have to like sift through every individual post, which I recommend because all the contributors are so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you go to their website and type in my name, it'll pull all of those up too. Perfect. All right. You'll definitely want to search that out because like I said, those um, pieces that you have written are really, really good. Um, So thank you a lot. Um, Just thank you so much for coming on the show. I just so appreciate you and your time uh, and your investment in our lives um, in this, on this topic of discouragement. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, Be sure to connect with Rachel in the online space. You're, you'll thank me later. Um, so, uh, connect with her and until then, or until I see you next time, take care, stay well, and remember that you are fully seen and known and heard and God could not love you any more than he loves you right now at this very moment. I'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me this week. It was great connecting with you. Hey, would you do me a quick favor that would mean the world to me? Would you go ahead and leave a few stars and a review or even a comment? It not only means so much to me, but in the online space and the podcasting world, the more stars, reviews, and comments that a podcast receives, the further the reach. It ranks up a little bit higher in Google searches, which then results in reaching more women with this amazing content. So if you are blessed and enjoying, you know, just the content that you are hearing here on the podcast, would you go ahead and leave a few stars, a review and some comments? It means the world to me. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you right back here. Same place, same time next week.